At the first service we had this morning, um, somebody uh, during that time of singing worship uh, felt that God gave them something to share. And she, and she shared about how she watched on the news this week um, about that man that was found imprisoned in the shed. Do you remember that story? For 40 years. Uh, and she shared that story, how God spoke to her through that, how we, many of us can be imprisoned not just in physical things like the shed, but we can be imprisoned in situations and in thinking and circumstances. And what I want to share with you today is one of those issues. But, you know, you know as she was sharing that, I also knew that one of the guys in this church who's here this morning was part of the operation that set that guy free. And as we were chatting about it before, you, you just look at like the depravity of humanity, that people could lock someone like that in a shed for 40 years. And it's just wicked, isn't it? And just, um, but, but, then, but then in the midst of the darkness, there's light. Do you know what I mean? And that guy now is set free and, and for the first time in 40 years, uh, you know, coming to terms with heating and water and shelter and, and, and affection and all of those kind of stuff. It's absolutely mind-blowing. You know, we, we, we're looking at a prison situation. We're looking at um, the Apostle Paul who uh, for, th- for, for three years, uh, two to three years of his, of his life, uh, spent it in, in a prison, in a Roman prison. And he was chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, it was going nowhere fast. And yet he wrote an incredible amount of the New Testament from that prison. And one of the books, one of the letters he wrote was a letter to the church at Philippi. We call it the Philippians. And, um, and he's talking all the way through about attitude because you cannot control a lot of what happens to you in life. But you can control your attitude, how you respond to it. And so chained to that Roman soldier in that Roman prison, not knowing whether he was going to live or die, in Philippians chapter 1, he spoke about resilience. Uh, and we looked at how do you overcome when life overwhelms. And then in, in week 2, chapter 2, we looked at humility. How can you find meaning and purpose in life beyond yourself? And then last week, we looked at confidence from Philippians chapter 3. Where, and Paul, in another letter, he said, I'm always confident. He wasn't confident in himself because your confidence is in a what or a who. And as we looked at last week, if it's a who, who is your who? And uh, uh, that sounds like a riddle. And the Apostle Paul said, it's not me, it's he. My confidence is in him. And then when we get to chapter 4, there's, this, there's a slightly different tack we're going to look at. Because Paul uses a word in Philippians chapter 4, which is such a big word now in our culture. It's always been a big word, but never has it been so high in our culture as it is right now. Paul speaks about anxiety. And I want to speak about anxiety with you this morning. This is an incredibly difficult subject to to look at. And I don't want to say this, but I have felt a little anxious about talking about anxiety. Because I know that there's a wide continuum here. And you get people, and and, and this, this will affect every single person here in this room, or whoever's watching, or whoever's listening. It will affect every single person, either directly or indirectly. Such a huge thing. And it's such a continuum. And right over here is kind of mild anxiety and, and, and worry. And it goes right the way through to mental health and all of that. And, and I can't address all of that. And you know, life has a funny way, doesn't it, of throwing things at you. And um, on Friday, I was just trying to look at the last kind of bits of this talk. And many of you know our youngest son, Simeon, who's in residential care. He has a lot of mental health issues and learning disability, etc. And and he was on holiday last week, and we're thinking, great, he's down by the coast having a great... And then on Friday morning, we had the phone call to say he'd had another seizure while he was away on holiday. And I'm just trying to look at, don't be anxious about anything. But instead, 
you know, in prayers and petitions and all of that. And, and life has a funny way of, of like getting you in the moment, doesn't it? And saying, okay, this is what the Bible says and this is life and it's so tough. And I'm aware that as I speak this morning, some of you will be in situations that are so big and so challenging and so demanding that my words might seem so small. Okay, and it doesn't cover everything that you're experiencing. I'm sorry for that, but I hope and pray that some of what God wants to say to you really does make a difference. I also started thinking about this message on anxiety, and we've called it how to um, rethink anxiety, because that's what we need to do. And I thought, this is going to be a bit heavy. I need a few gags. But it's quite difficult to get jokes about anxiety, but I've got one, all right? This is such a bad joke, it does demand a groan at the end of it, all right? This is such a bad joke, but just, just indulge me, okay? So a man went to a psychiatrist and said, sometimes I think I'm a teepee and sometimes I think I'm a wigwam. And, and the psychiatrist says, you're clearly too tense. Come on! I'm here all week. I'm here all week. Too tense. Okay, some of you didn't even get it. That's the only joke you're going to get this morning, all right? And it's really bad. Anxiety, definition-wise, is a feeling of unease such as worry or fear that can be mild or severe. And I recently read a book by a guy called Max Licado called Anxious for Nothing, based on Philippians chapter 4. And some of the stuff I want to share with you this morning is from that book. But he, in the, in the beginning of the book, he writes so poetically. And as I read this to you, some of these phrases are going to resonate with some of you this morning. You're going to say, that's exactly how I feel. I hope, I hope you do, because I think that's really important. This is what he says. Anxiety is a low-grade fear, an edginess, a dread, a cold wind that won't stop howling. It's not so much a storm as a certainty that one is coming. Sunny days are just an interlude. You can't relax, can't let your guard down. All peace is temporary, short term. You don't sleep well. You don't laugh often. You don't enjoy the sun. You don't whistle as you walk. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. Anxiety is trepidation. It's a suspicion, an apprehension. Life in a minor key with major concerns. Perpetually on the pirate ship's plank. And if you've never experienced anxiety, you may think, what is that about? But I know many of you in this room know exactly what that's about. Because you've experienced it and you may be experiencing it right now, this morning. In the book he says, anxiety and fear are cousins, not twins. Really interesting. He says this, fear sees a threat, but anxiety imagines a threat. How many of you know you're in situations sometimes and you know rationally and logically that it's okay, but your mind plays tricks on you. Anyone ever experienced that? A few, few years ago, many of you know that I travel a lot and I love traveling uh, overseas, but I'm not particularly a good flyer. If there was any other way to get there, if I could do the Star Trek thing where you press a button and be transported, I'd love that. I don't particularly enjoy flying, but I really enjoy traveling. And several years ago, I was on a trip um, out to Singapore and we were, I was with another leader here in the church. I don't want to embarrass him because I haven't asked his permission uh, to share this story and I don't want to obviously, you know, I don't want to you know, I, I want to look after Lee's dignity uh, by not, oh, by not mentioning him. But we, so we sat on this plane and we're heading over the Bay of Bengal towards Singapore, and we're in a tropical thunderstorm, and the turbulence was ridiculous. Like the plane just like disappeared out of there and back up thousands of feet, and everyone thrown around like that. And here's the thing: in your head, I in my head, I know planes don't come out of the sky through turbulence. No planes are ever lost through turbulence. 
I know that in my head. But when you're going through it, anxiety starts to grip you, doesn't it? And I'm like that. But <laughs> I was bad. Lee was reading through the book of Psalms at the time. Okay, and speaking loudly in tongues, all right? So we were both, both, but we both knew it will be okay, but anxiety grips you and it's really hard to get out of it. How bad is anxiety out there? Oh, this is where it does get a little bit heavy. How many of you watched the Panorama program a few weeks ago? Anyone see it on, on the mental health of our children? Not many of you. Somebody recommended I read it. I watched it and I watched it while I was preparing for this last week. And as I watched it on my desk, on my iPad, I had to push it to one side and I wept. I just wept at some of these kids and teenagers talking about their battles with anxiety and mental health. Psychologist called Robert Leahy, he said, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? Absolutely mind-blowing. Researchers believe that the environment and social order have changed more in the past 30 years than in the previous 300. One in four teenagers have done or thought about doing some kind of self-harm. In our Dudley Borough, local stats, 3,000 this year mental health issues, 1,500 PTSD, over 1,000 eating disorders. I heard a story recently, just, just this last week or so, of, of a kid in our borough, five years of age, who put wire around his neck, attached it to a gate, tried to shut the gate to try to take his own life. Five years of age. If that doesn't make you weep, I don't know what will. And that's the reality of the pressure on not just young people, but that's specifically that, but on everybody these days. It seems to be an epidemic in our culture. And I think one of the factors in the rise of mental health is this little baby, isn't it? This is one of the factors and the causes in the rise of mental health. Now, I'm not saying don't have a phone, not saying don't use a phone, but we need to understand this is making things get worse. And there's something out there called SMAD, Social Media Anxiety Disorder. It's an actual condition now. Social Media Anxiety Disorder. And you see what happens is, is, that, is that we get envy and we get comparison because we look at pictures and we look at Instagram and we look at Snapchat and Facebook and all this and we look at other people's perceived lives, imaginary lives and we look at our own real lives and there's a disconnect and then that adds to anxiety or there's the fear of missing out or there's the big thing of bullying. When I was a kid at school and I used to get, and we used to get bullied, um, you know, you'd go home and you'd have a break from it. You'd go for the weekend and you'd have a break of it. You'd go for the, for the holiday for a half term or the summer holidays and you'd have a break. You don't get any break from that. So a lot of our kids and teenagers are getting bullied and this is making things worse. Let me make a plea to all of us, okay, whatever your age. Could we use this thing as a tool rather than this thing use us? Wouldn't that be amazing? And I know I've got a lot of work to do in this area as well. So how can we rethink our attitude towards anxiety? I want to, I want to give you three things and then we're going to look at, at Philippians chapter 4 together. I think the first thing we have to rethink is, is this. Anxiety does not have a type. You know, you know, sometimes people think, oh, I'm not that type, or they're that type. Anxiety does not have a type. This affects every person. In fact, anxiety does have a type. It's a human being. 
Animals don't really get anxious in the same way that we do because they don't have the same kind of thought and imagination. But anxiety doesn't have a type. This affects rich and poor, young and old, black and white. It affects everybody and anybody. And don't think that if only you had more money or power, you wouldn't have anxiety. Stalin was one of the most powerful leaders who'd ever lived. He was in leader of the Soviet Union for years, for decades. He was so anxious, he was so anxious and fearful for his life. He had seven different bedrooms that he rotated in, five shows for driven limos that whenever he went out he was in one of them and they never know which one and he had a guy who ta- whose job was to taste his tea bags to taste the tea that his tea bags were in okay he was so anxious um, John Lennon really famous guy he was so fearful of the dark he used to sleep with the lights on don't think that the more money you have and the more power you have the less your anxiety will be because it's not true anxiety does not have a type And about four weeks ago, I was absolutely rocked by this. And I don't know the guy at all, but but I I read this this, this article, and many, many of us have read it now, about a young guy, a pastor in America, 30 years of age, cool guy, pastor of a growing church, great church, lovely wife, three kids, battling with mental health and anxiety. He took his own life four weeks ago. And when you read the stories and you read just, this is like, this, and he was open about it. He was getting help for it. He was doing all of the right things. And his wife wrote an article and she said this. She says, it's like I wrote a letter to him. This was after he'd taken his life. And she said this, you were right all along. I truly didn't understand the depths of your depression and anxiety. I didn't understand how real and how relentless the spiritual attacks were. The pain, the fear and the turmoil you must have been dealing with every single day is unimaginable. So we've got to rethink this. Anxiety does not have a type. Anxiety can affect every single person on planet Earth. Secondly, anxiety is not a weakness. It's not a weakness. Can I just say, our attitude towards those who are suffering and struggling with anxiety must never be, please don't ever say things like this, pull yourself together. (laughs) Look on the bright side. It may never happen. Please don't ever say that because it may. It really may. What good does worrying do? And this is the killer. You think too much. Listen, if you're made, if you're created in a way that you think a lot, that is how God has made you to be. Please don't allow others of us who are insensitive to put you down. If you think too much, what's too much? If you think, you think. It's, It's not a weakness. And thirdly, anxiety is not a sin. If you're a Christian today, you're a person of faith, you maybe were brought up with this idea that, that, that the life of faith is a life of peace and trust, and of course it is. And almost like the presence of anxiety makes you think that you're doing something wrong. Jesus was anxious too. Anxiety is not a sin, anxiety is an emotion. Jesus was anxious in the Garden of Gethsemane. So anxious that the Bible says he sweat drops of blood. But here's the thing, he didn't stay In his anxiety, he found a way to move through it and beyond it. And I want to say something this morning, and it's this. The presence of anxiety is part of life, but the prison of anxiety doesn't have to be. The presence of anxiety is a part of life. The prison doesn't have to be. And here's where we need to rethink our approach to anxiety. And so the first thing I want to talk about is this. I, want, I believe that in, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about three big adjustments that you and I need to make, okay, if we're struggling with anxiety. Number one, adjust your response to anxiety. Let's go to the Bible. It says this, um, here we go. 
Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is just such an amazing scripture. And um, I don't think that, G- that Paul here, it's a little bit like the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. I don't think either of those guys are saying, don't worry, don't think about anything, don't plan. Don't, I don't think they're saying that. I think they're saying, don't let the worries strangle the life out of you. Don't let them become a prison. You don't need to do that. But do something with the anxiety when it comes. And I think that word but is so important. Because what happens in anxiety is that anxiety increases when our perceived control diminishes. Isn't that right? When our perceived control diminishes, our anxiety increases. But here's the thing, folks. Peace is within reach, not for lack of problems or worries, but because of the presence of Christ. You see, see, when you and I get anxious, it's when our perceived control is diminishing. But that's an illusion that we're in control anyway. Because we're not. And it's not about our control. It's about the presence of Christ in the middle of it. And Paul talks about, I think, taking an action here. And the attitude is, when the anxiety comes, do something with the anxiety. Look at this other verse in 1 Peter 5. Cast all your anxiety on him, Peter says, because he cares for you. That word cast literally means throw. It means relocate. It means you've got anxiety. What are you going to do with it? You've got to relocate it. You've got to throw it. You've got to cast it somewhere else. Where are we going to cast it? Let's look at another verse in Hebrews The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining (coughs) all things by His powerful word. That word sustaining means carried or brought. And it's the same word that that, that when those four guys uh, carry their paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus. It's the same word in John 2 when it talks about the, um, uh, the servants that brought the wine to Jesus. It literally means guaranteed safe delivery. So, Paul's saying, listen, when you, when you get hold of anxiety, uh, you, you've got to do something with it. You've got to bring it to God. Peter says, you've got to cast it into, into somewhere. And, and in Hebrews it says, why don't you cast it into the hands that are the safest hands in the universe? Because that's Jesus. You see, he sustains everything by his word. If Jesus was to step back from sustaining the universe, the universe would collapse like that. But he doesn't. So can he handle your anxiety? You bet he can. Can he handle the things that you're worried about? Can he handle the situation that you're thinking about? Can he handle Simeon for us? Can he handle your work situation? Can he handle your health situation? Can he handle you? Absolutely he can. But he's got to be given a chance to do it. You've got to cast it. You've got to relocate it into his hands. The company is downsizing, but God is still sovereign. The cancer has reappeared, but God is still your God. Your divorce has come through, but God is still your provider. We've got to adjust our response. And Paul says, uh, you do it by prayer, petition, and then presenting your requests to God. Now, those three things sound the same, but they're not. You see, when he says prayer, what that word prayer means in the original language is worship and relationship. When I'm anxious and I talk to God, then I often say, God, I'm really anxious about this. Anyone ever do that? And say, can you do this? Can you do this? 
And Paul says, don't, I was in tongues then, that was amazing. That's how you do. Paul says, don't do that. First, worship me. First, just connect with me. And then petition is, is that like a posture of humility and surrender. So before like you just blurge it all out, just be, just be yourself. Just connect with God. And then present your request. Then be specific. And as you are specific, you relocate your anxiety into the hands of God. I love this quote I found years ago. I don't know who said it. Every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. Every evening, I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. It's his job. And as we relocate that anxiety, I believe God gives us that peace that Paul talks about. And this, this kind of image helps me. Uh, it's an American image. But the, the, if you imagine that the baseball is the anxiety, the glove is God. I've got a, I've got a choice. Do I hold on to the ball or do I relocate the ball into the safe pair of hands? And when we do that... The Bible says that God does something. The Bible says the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. The presence of anxiety is part of life. The prison of anxiety doesn't have to be. We have to adjust our response. Are you holding on to that ball of anxiety today? Today is a day when you can relocate it into the hands that hold the universe. They can certainly hold your anxiety. Number two. Adjust your thinking. Uh, let's go again. Finally, next slide. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the next slide, is there another one? And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Do you notice in both those passages of Scripture, Paul says, you do something, you adjust something, adjust your response, adjust your thinking, and what, I will, what God will do is he'll give you peace. I want to say something. I am not talking about mindfulness. That's got its place, but I want to say something about this. The Bible isn't talking about mindfulness. That's a little bit Eastern meditation, and that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. It's not about when you pray, when you adjust your thinking, you'll feel so much better. God says, when you do that, God will do something. This is about the supernatural intervention of God. This isn't about you digging something up and just changing the way that you think. This is about when you do that, God will respond by giving you the gift of peace. And that word when it says he will guard your heart and your mind, the literal original word is a sentry on duty. It's a military term. It's like when you respond, when you relocate, when you change the way that you think, when you adjust that, then God will do something. He will send a sentry by his Holy Spirit that will guard your heart and your mind. But we have to adjust our thinking. There's once a woman who woke up one morning, looked in a mirror and noticed she had only three hairs on her head. Well, she said, I think I'll braid my hair today. So she did and she had a wonderful day. The next day she woke up, looked in the mirror and saw that she had only two hairs on her head. Hmm, she said, I think I'll part my hair down the middle today. And she did and she had a great day. The next day she woke up, she looked in the mirror and noticed she had only one hair on her head. Today is ponytail day, she said, and had a fun day. The next day she woke up, looked in the mirror and noticed that there wasn't a single hair on her head. Yes, she said, I don't have to fix my hair today. Attitude is everything. 
Uh, and you know, you and I, in our mind, it's like an air traffic control tower, isn't it? All these thoughts circle around and we get to choose which one lands or doesn't. And I think what Paul says is, hey, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, whatever is pure, you know, why don't you think on those things? You're going to think on something anyway. Why don't you choose to think on those things? And when I look at that list of things, I think actually all that list could be summed up in one word, Jesus. You know, when the anxiety grips me, I need to adjust my thinking to think about him. That's not to deny it. It's not to be deluded. It's not any of that. It's to think about him. And then when I think about him, it's amazing what God does. Have you noticed how your thoughts go crazy on you? Anyone notice that? You know, I remember when I was about 36, 37 and I went to, um, to have my eyes tested. Okay. And um, the, the optician said, your eyes are fine. And then the optician said this, but when you're 40, you may need to wear glasses. And I forgot about it. And this is true. And Alison will say this is true. On my 40th birthday, I woke up on 16th of July, 40th birthday, and I went, I'm blind. I'm blind. Do you know what I mean? It's literally like in my head, it was like, you know, oh, I can't see a thing. Because your thoughts take a grip of you, don't you? Don't they? And we need to adjust our thinking. And God says that when you adjust your response, when you relocate the anxiety, and then when you adjust your thinking, what God does is he sends his presence, the peace of the Holy Spirit that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then the third thing, and he goes even deeper still, because he says, thirdly, adjust your expectation. See, he's talking, I think, about your attitude towards anxiety. But then he brings out another attitude underneath, which I think this is a massive issue for our culture right now. Let's go to the Scriptures. I am not saying this because I'm in need, says Paul. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, because not everybody knows it, of being, say the word, say the word louder, content. What an attitude to cultivate. One of the issues for our culture, we are so anxious because we are so discontent. We are so anxious because we just never have enough. We're so anxious because we just, we, we just are always trying to fill this need for contentment rather than cultivating the attitude of contentment. And he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. If I'm married, I'll be content. If I'm not married, I'll be content. If I've got a job, I'll be content. If I've not got a job, I want to learn the secret of contentment. If I'm healthy, I want to be content. I'm not healthy. How do I learn the secret of contentment? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then over the, over the saying, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now notice, he's not saying you can do whatever you want to do. You just set your mind to it and you can do it. That's not what the Bible says. Paul says, I can do all this. This that I've just been talking about, I can relocate my anxiety. I can adjust my thinking. I can adjust my expectation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Adjust your expectation. Our society tells us we are discontent, doesn't it? It says you are discontent and contentment is just one purchase away. If you just get that one car, if you could just get that new phone, if you just get that new wife, if you could just get that new something, that latest something, then you will be content and then you will be happy. And it's a lie and it's an illusion. And if you've got a thing, if, you, if there's something in your life that said, I will be happy when, 
And, and there's a gap there. You just think about it. Maybe I will be happy when I'm promoted. I'll be happy when I'm healed. I'll be happy when I'm married. If there's something there other than God, you're in trouble when it comes to contentment. And Paul says, I'm in a prison, in a prison cell. And Paul's anxious. I think he was. He was anxious for himself. He was anxious for, for friends. He was anxious for the church. But he was content. He wasn't in a prison of anxiety. He wasn't, because he'd relocated it. He was adjusting his thinking. And he said, I've learned the secret of being content. So, so important. And I love these, these last words that he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, this is not about mindfulness. This is not about positive thinking. This is not about that. This is about adjusting my thinking. This is about adjusting my response. But this is about what God does in me when I do that. This is about the supernatural intervention of God. A better way of translating that last phrase would be this. I am strong or made strong for all things in the one who constantly infuses strength into me. Anxiety decreases as trusting God increases. And trusting God only increases when we get to know him more. And Paul's saying, hey, I ain't got a lot. I'm in prison. I don't know what's going to happen to me. But my anxiety is subsiding because my trust in who my God is, is increasing. And as I'm doing that, the Holy Spirit is giving me that supernatural gift of the peace of Christ that guards my heart and my mind. So how can we rethink anxiety as we draw to a close this morning? I, I want to say one thing, or I want to say three things, but the first thing I want to say is this. Listen, to those you know who are currently affected by this, maybe you're not affected by anxiety today. That's great if you're not. But there will be someone in your world who is. I want to say, please be kind to them. Be compassionate to them. You think, oh, I don't upset them by saying the wrong thing. Then don't say anything, but just be present. Just be there. Please don't say cheer up or don't think too much, or don't worry, or please don't sing a Monty Python song, or I always look on the bright. Please don't do that. But what you could do is to be kind and compassionate and present. And the second response I think we can make is to those who are trying to help people who are currently affected on the acute end of this. I think about I have a friend of mine who's a local counsellor. She's a Christian as well and, and, and she's very involved in mental health and well-being in our borough. And I emailed her this week to say, we want to pray for you today. What's going on? What can we pray? And she was so grateful for that. We can pray for our local authority. We can pray for our services. Pray for people like Faze Trust who are working with some young people who are right on the acute edge of mental health and well-being issues. We can pray for people like that and we're going to do that this morning. But then thirdly, and I want to invite the band if they could come back up. Some of you here in this room, you are currently being affected by this. I want to say something to you. Listen, look at me. Break the silence before the silence breaks you. Break the silence before the silence breaks you. You are not on your own. You're not on your own. It is not a weakness. There's not a type. It's not a sin. Break the silence before the silence breaks you. And what that means is talk to someone. Get some help. Listen, let me say something here off script. If the doctor, if, you got, if, if you're, you're not well, you go to the doctor, okay? Don't you? If the doctor says get some counselling, get some counselling. If the doctor says take some medication, Take some medication. Listen, it's not faith that's stopping you, it's pride. 
When we go to the doctors for any other kind of issue or condition, He gives us medicine and we take it. But for some, for so many of us as Christians, we have this block when it comes to mental health and anxiety and depression and stress. We think, I don't want to take medication. That's not faith, it's pride. Listen, you're not strong when you can prove that you can go on your own. You're strong when you can prove you no longer have to go on your own. That actually you're willing to take some help. And I want to say, break the silence before the silence breaks you. And if you are struggling right now in anxiety, do all you can. I know this is hard. Do all you can not to isolate yourself. I know that's hard. But get some, be around some people. Do all you can to be around people. It's so, so important. And talk to somebody about it. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in recently where someone has talked about their mental health and anxiety. And when they realize that they're not on their own and others think like that too, it's like liberation, isn't it? It's like you're stepping out of a prison that you were in and into some freedom. You've still got the anxiety. You've still got the issue to work with. But you're, not now, you're no longer in the prison. You're coming out into freedom because you're not on your own. There's other people with me as well. And what I want to do is I want to pray in a moment. And then we're going to sing a, a song that has become really important to us as a church over the last few weeks. And we, we sing it quite triumphantly and Pentecostally because of the words. But I want, I want us to do it in a slightly different way because I think there's a profound depth to this song. And it's in the simplicity of it. And the song in the chorus says that he's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. And he is all those things. But it also says in the verse, you are here moving in this place. What about if we thought about it like this? In my anxiety, God, you are here moving in that place. In my anxiety, you are a way maker. Because you can make a way. Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In my anxiety, you're a miracle worker. In my anxiety, you're a promise keeper. That's who you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, God, for just the relevance of this into our lives. Thank you for the freshness, Lord, that your word is. God, we pray right now for those in our society and in our culture who are struggling under the weight of anxiety. God, Oh, we bring our kids to you, Lord Jesus. We bring our teenagers to you, God. We bring those people to you that get to the end of themselves and feel there's no other way out. God, would you be with them, Lord, we pray. God, I just pray for that guy that's been released out of that shed prison. and I know he had mental health issues as well. And God, would you help him? And would you help those that help him? Pray, Lord, for people like Faith Trust. I pray for our local authority. I pray for social workers. I pray, God, it isn't all about money. I know there's political comments to make, but God, it isn't all about money, Lord. It's about, about people being with people, being present, being empathic, Lord, being kind, being supportive. God, I pray that you'd, you'd do that, Lord. And we pray for those who are in that frontline situation. We pray for those that are working in mental health uh, situations and uh, setups and organisations. We pray for doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists and all of those amazing people, mental health nurses, learning disability nurses, all those incredible people. 
that work with people on the acute end of this. And God, we pray that you'd encourage and strengthen them and help them to know that they're bringing light and life into darkness and situations. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with those. And God, if we ever meet anybody who's really struggling and suffering with this, God, may we be help to them. May we be light to them. May we be support to them. God, we don't need to be trained. We just need to be present and willing and open in Jesus' name. And now I want to ask you guys if you'd stand with me for a moment. Could we all do that? And I want to ask you to, um, if, if you are struggling with anxiety right now, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front because I know that would be anxious for you. But I am asking you to break the silence. I am asking you to do something today, okay, which might be difficult. I'm going to ask you just to sit down. And I want to ask you to sit down because I want, I want it to be a physical thing where you know, I think God is saying to you, listen, just receive. Just receive something from me. And then I'm going to ask Abby and the guys to sing this song over you just for a few minutes and then we'll begin to sing. And, and as she sings, you are here moving in this place. You're sitting down to say, here I am, God, in my anxiety and I'm believing that you are here moving in this place and you are my promise keeper and you are my way maker and you are my miracle God and I want to receive it from you so if that's you this morning and right now you know anxiety is really gripping you I want you just to sit bless you guys Father I want to pray for those that have sat down right now and Lord I pray that as they sit they would rest in you And Lord, as these words are sung over us today, God, may we receive them and may we grab a hold of them and not just grab a hold of the words, but grab a hold of the God behind the words. You're an incredible God. And Lord, in our anxiety, you're moving. In our anxiety, you are our way maker. You are our promise keeper. You are our miracle worker. And so Lord, we declare you are here in this place and we respond and we connect and we relocate our anxiety onto you because your hands are big enough. Your heart is loving enough. Your grace is big enough. And we relocate that into you. And God, we say, Lord, now, would you let your peace guard our minds and our hearts. We break the silence before it breaks us. We bring it into the light and we say, Lord, would you come? Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name.